0: Good evening. Were you blessed by that special music? Amen. Amen. So was I. So was I. Well, I'm excited about tonight. I know that God has some very special things in store. And the promise is in Jeremiah 33, verse 3, that if you call upon Him, He will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Do you want to call upon the Lord Jesus right now? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer right now. Father in heaven, we thank you so much, Lord, for that promise found in the book of James that if we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, you will lift us up. And Lord, we don't come to you with any arrogance or any pride right now. We just come asking, Lord, that you would open up our hearts and minds to understand the Word of God like never before. And Father, we pray that every person who walks away from tonight's meeting will know that the Holy Spirit's presence has been felt in this room. For this we pray and ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I was going through the question box, and I noticed a few questions are over there. So if you have some questions, feel free to put them in the green question box right over there. Thank you so much. See that green question box? So if you go through the meeting and you just said, I'd just like to ask Pastor Nell that question, all you need to do is just write it down, and we'll make sure we answer that question in time to come. Well, here's a few questions that I want to answer right now. Here's the first question. How do you remember all those verses when you are on stage without opening your Bible? Anel Kanda. And there's a phone number here as well. You are awesome. Well, I'm not awesome, but God's awesome. Well, here's the thing I'd like to say about that. One of the best things I can recommend to you is to wake up early. There's something about the early morning time. The Bible says in Isaiah 50 verse 4 that the Lord awakens us morning by morning. Notice what it does not say. It does not say, Folgers wakens me morning by morning. (laughs) The Bible makes it very clear that God will wake you up if you ask him. And in the wee early morning hours, when you spend time with God and in his word, the Bible has this sense of just imprinting itself upon your mind. Anybody I've ever talked to who's made a habit of getting up before the sun and actually spending time in the word of God will find that those scripture verses tend to stay in the mind. You know, one time when I was in college, I had, the, I had this very intense anatomy and physiology test. And anatomy and physiology, 95% of it is just mere memorization. And so I thought to myself, well, the only way I'm going to be able to pass this test, not studying and all, I'm going to actually have to get up early, get a good night of sleep and actually get up early. I got up around 3.30 a.m. that morning, and I was going to memorize all the various body parts. So I set my alarm, I got up, first thing I did, I spent some time in prayer and I studied the Bible for about 40 minutes and then I started memorizing several of the anatomy and physiology questions and I took that test and I aced that test. Actually, the teacher was very surprised and he said, it's very interesting how a theology student has actually bested the rest of the science students here. But here's the thing, I don't take any glory to myself, I give all glory to God because he gives wisdom. Amen? God gives us wisdom, and the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 5, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and God who upbraideth not will give to all men liberally. In other words, God's not going to hold back wisdom from you. If you ask for wisdom, he's going to pour it out upon you. Can you say amen to that? Amen. So just here's what I'd recommend. Number one, getting up really early. And number two, reading your Bible very first thing in the morning. And number three, here's something I also recommend, is that when you're going to sleep, play an audio recording of the Bible. That stuff is just going through your mind, and there's nothing wrong with the Bible going through your mind. Amen? Amen. Better than all the junk of the world. All right, here's another question. What happens after we die? What happens after we die? You know, this is a very interesting question. A lot of people ask this question. You go to various churches, various religions, and you'll find that there's a lot of belief about what happens when you die. But after this presentation, you're actually going to discover what the Bible says, proof positive, what the Bible actually says about what happens when you die. We need to get our answers from the Word of God. Can you say amen to that? Not from Canada, but straight from the scriptures. And that's what we're going to do tonight. The next question is, what is the Ten Commandments of God? The Ten Commandments of God. I'm actually just going to speed up a little bit. You can find the Ten Commandments of God found in Exodus chapter 20. And there in Exodus chapter 20, you're going to find not ten suggestions, but ten commandments, rules for our life. God is showing by the Ten Commandments the best way to live. Can you say amen to that? And the Bible says in John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. The Bible says in 1 John, this is how we love God when we keep his commandments. Our life and bringing into accordance with the scriptures, with the 10 commandments, it is giving honor and glory to God. Amen. The 10 commandments do not save us, but we keep the Ten Commandments in response to what God did for us on the cross 2,000 years ago. Can you say amen to that? Well, tonight's message is entitled, Revelation Today, Prophecies Haunted House. Prophecies Haunted Houses. You know, last year I preached this message. I never forgot when I gave this message, I got deathly ill right before And we prayed, and there did some hydrotherapy, and I got better. I preached this message. I really believe that the Spirit of God blessed, but right after I got off that stage, I was deathly ill again. I really believe that when this message is spoken, that there is an intense spiritual battle going on right here in this very room. And so the devil's going to do all he can to take your attention away from what the scriptures are showing. But folks, we need to make sure we're taking notes. We need to make sure, like we're like the Bereans, as it says in Acts chapter sixteen, or excuse me, verse seventeen, chapter seventeen, like the Bereans, where we're actually having opening, open minds and studying those things daily in the scriptures. Can you say amen to that? So let's begin Revelation today. Prophecies haunted houses prophecies, haunted houses. By the way, just a reminder, tomorrow night is the good news about hellfire. A lot of people think, wait a second, that sounds like a contradiction. How is it possible that there could be good news about hellfire? Come tomorrow night, and you're going to be blown away by what the scriptures are saying about hellfire, and I promise you this, you're going to see the love of God like never before. It is extremely important to be there. I just want to start off by saying this. Before we watch this video, you're going to see some things that may potentially disturb you. That's okay. That's okay, because God promises that when we speak his name, the demons flee. Amen? So what I'm going to share with you is an example of something that's in modern day news about the paranormal. About the paranormal. uh, Haunted houses and ghosts. So pay attention to this. I wonder if we can dim the lights a little bit so everybody could see what's going on. Okay, and this was just an interview or a news report that just took place not too long ago. Here we go. Question. Do you believe in ghosts? The crew at the IGA supermarket at Brompton in Adelaide certainly do. When Norm Hurst bought the store in October last year, the previous owners told him it was haunted. He was a tad skeptical until he found a bunch of roll-ups on the floor in aisle three, six (laughs) metres away from where they usually are in aisle two. Ah, yes, Yes. definite. Now, security camera vision shows the packet being flung, not falling, being flung onto the floor at 11.30pm by a seemingly invisible force. Scientists can't explain this. (laughs) And here's a possible explanation. In 1998, Boxer Bora Altentis was gunned down on the footpath outside the building. Now the bullet hole is still visible. <laughs> it that a bit it's like that. It's still visible in the phone booth nearby. Off. So has the ghost returned? Tell us what you think. And does he like? He, love, ro- ro- he obviously likes roll-ups. Well,
1: maybe yeah. He doesn't like. No,
0: no, no, take it a bit. Uh, same. Thing. Now, when it comes to this, what you'll discover is that there is a lot of belief about ghosts, the paranormal, demons, angels, and all sorts of things. What you find in our culture today, you find out a very interesting fascination about movies that are about the paranormal, things about ghosts. There's been this sort of rapid outbreak of these things, and a lot of people are seeking thrills and chills coming out to those movies and seeing those things. You look in our culture today, it's not just in movies, it's in television, it's in books, it's all over the world. The paranormal is getting people to ask a lot of questions Is there something unusual about what happens when someone dies? Are there ghosts floating around? Are unusual things taking place? And one movie says, are the little tickles in behind your neck, is that a departed one trying to contact you? Folks, when it comes to these things, we need to understand the word of God like never before. Amen? Recently, this took place as well. This was actually... Another um, thing that came out in the news, actually was last year, and this individual, his name is Todd Burpo, he's a young man, and last year this book became a bestseller. What took place is that he went and supposedly saw a vision of heaven, and in this vision of heaven, he met this woman who happened to be his sister. His sister began to talk to him in this vision of heaven, and when he came out of it, He told his parents, he said, I just had a vision of heaven, I saw some unusual things there, and I saw my sister. The interesting thing is that he's the only child in that family. And all of a sudden, his mother began to cry, his father began to cry, because they remembered that they had a young daughter a long time ago, but she died when she was just an infant. So a lot of people believe that this young man, Todd, actually had a vision of the afterlife and made contact with his departed sister. But folks, we need to understand what the Word of God is saying, and I cannot stress that enough. You find out in different cultures, like the Egyptian cultures, that they had very strange beliefs about the afterlife. Many times what they'll discover in pyramids and tombs, they will discover a lot of property that belonged to the pharaohs, to the various rulers, to those various Egyptians. And what they would do, they would place those possessions inside the tomb of the departed one. And what would take place, according to their belief, was that when this individual dies, he's going to need some property when he gets to the afterlife, And so this was very common in the Egyptian culture. All throughout the hieroglyphics, you can see examples of what they believe about the afterlife. You also find in the Babylonian culture some strange things as well. You'll find that in the Babylonian culture that they would actually bury the wife along with the husband. Unfortunately, the wife was sometimes still alive. And they would do this in this culture. They had beliefs about the afterlife, And so they made sure that when they buried the dead, it was with a belief that this person would continue on after the grave. You find, for example, in the Greek culture with the various philosophers, that they had a very interesting belief about the afterlife it was more of what you may call a philosophical belief, but they believed that there was an afterlife. They believed that this place was called Hades, and they would oftentimes bury somebody with a coin in their mouth because when they cross over to that place right after death, they would need a coin with a, with a man by the name of Chero, and what he would do would be able to just bury them across that lake, but they would need a coin to pay him, so they would make sure that their dead were buried with a coin in their mouth. You also find that Plato said something very interesting about death. Now, watch this. Plato explained that death and life are two different substances. Now, watch what he says. When death comes at a human being, his death-bound part, as is, likely dies. But his undying part, pay attention to that phrase, his undying part takes off and goes away safe and destroyed. This is possible, undestroyed. Excuse me. This is possible because the soul doesn't omit death, and what does not omit death is immortal. Plato believed in something called dualism. He believed that there was a dying part of humanity, and he also believed in an undying part of humanity. He called the dying part the body, and he called the undying part the soul. And he believed that this soul would just walk off, it would just leave, and it would go to the place of the departed. This was some of the beliefs that were just promoted throughout all the Greek culture and, in fact, even infiltrated Jewish culture as well. Hinduism example. I was born and raised a Hindu, and it was about 11 years ago that I became a Christian. But as a Hindu, we had very interesting beliefs about the afterlife. We believe in something called reincarnation. Can you say that word with me? Reincarnation. In other words, we believe that when a person died based upon their karma, it would decide what would take place in their afterlife. For example, when my father passed away in 2001, some of my relatives told me, they said your dad must have been a tree in his past life because he was so gentle. And so these are the beliefs of Hindus. In fact, one of the reasons why we were vegetarians growing up is because we believe that somebody that we once knew who had died may be in one of these animals. And it's very important to preserve the life of these animals. There are some Hindu sages that, for example, were so extreme that when a little bug would cross the street, they would actually stop their horse or their camel or their carriage. They would actually stop it and wait for that bug to cross the street because they thought to themselves, what if we are destroying the soul of somebody we once knew? So this was the belief basis for Hinduism. You find throughout the world that people die. Ten out of ten people still die, last time I checked. Death happens all over the world. We see it in our newspaper on a daily basis. We know people who have died. Throughout our entire life, death comes to us. Apparently, even as we get older, sometimes death comes a little too quickly. But a lot of people are asking questions about death. What exactly happens when a person dies? And how is the second coming related to that? These are questions that we're going to answer. What really happens when somebody dies, and how is it connected to end-time prophecy? The way we're going to understand what happens at death is to first understand how man was created. How man was what? created, take your Bible, let's go to the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 7. When God created everything else, he just spoke it into existence. When he created the sun, the moon, the stars, everything on earth, he simply spoke it into existence. But when he created man, the Bible says this, and the Lord God formed man out of the, what? (laughs) Dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the, what? Breath Breath of life and man became a living being. Now, why is that so remarkable? Because even Adam himself was not there, technically, when he was being created. His existence didn't take place until afterwards, when he woke up and he saw God face to face. Even when Eve was created, Adam was sleeping. So did Adam see God create a single thing? No, he didn't. Even Adam, by faith, had to believe that God was a creator. That God was a creator. But watch what the Bible says right here. There's a very interesting equation. If anybody wants to create life, here you do. Just take notes. And the Lord God formed man out of the a, dust of the ground. He gathered the dust of the ground. And the Bible says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Now watch what happens. And man became a living being. Okay, there we have the equation for life. Dust of the ground plus breath of life. Now, take your Bible. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. After God creates Adam and Eve, he gives them a very special commandment. Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. amen. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There were two trees in the middle of the garden. There was the tree of life, and then there was the tree of knowledge and good and evil. What tree was Adam forbidden to eat? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Very good. Now pay attention to Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil, and now lest he put out his hand and take of the tree of life and eat and live, what? Forever. Forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. Now pay attention to this. This is extremely important to understand. Adam's immortality was contingent upon eating the tree of life. And the moment he sinned, God actually removed Adam and Eve out of the garden because if they were to continue to have access to the tree of life, there would be immortal sin. There would be eternal suffering. There There would be just this eternity of destruction. And so God had to quarantine the tree and he actually had to remove Adam and Eve outside the garden so that they would learn the plan of salvation. But this is extremely important to understand, folks. Adam was forbidden to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil because as soon as he ate of it, he would, what? Die. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, if you eat of this tree, you will die. But they had access to the tree of life. And as long as they ate of the tree of life, they would live forever. They would live forever. Look what the Bible says. The Bible teaches nowhere that man has an immortal soul nor possesses any kind of inherent immortality. The Bible does, in fact, teach that God alone is inherently immortal, everlasting, and eternal. And here's the scripture verse right here. I'm going to show you in just a second. Take your Bible and let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. You're going to discover from scripture that only God alone is immortal and eternal and he has given immortality as a gift to Adam 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 17 all the books in the new testament that start with t are right next to each other 1 Timothy chapter 1 and go to verse 17 1 Timothy chapter 1 go to verse 17 now to the king and who is the king God, that's page 1140. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. God, the Bible says, is eternal. The Bible says in Psalm 90, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15. Which he will manifest in his own time, he who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who, what's that next word? Alone has what? Immortality. So who does the Bible say alone has immortality? God. Anything or any other being that has immortality does not have it inherently. God gives those being in immortality as a gift. And so for Adam and Eve, in order for them to live forever, they had to continually keep the commandments of God, stay in the proximity of the Garden of Eden, and partake of the tree of what? Life. In fact, when you read the book of Revelation, the very end of the story of redemption, what you'll find in the new heavens, the new earth, man again has access to the tree of life. To the tree of life. So where did this idea come that man lives forever apart from God? Where does this idea come that man has this inherent immortality that he lives even without any, any um, contingency upon the tree of life? Where did this idea come? Well, the Bible actually points us to the devil's very first lie. Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. Pay attention to Satan's first lie. Then the serpent said to the woman... You will not, what? Surely die. The devil actually popped this thinking into Eve's mind that it did not matter how she lived her life because she was not going to die. And sure enough, Eve took of that fruit, ate of it, gave it to her husband, Adam. He took of the fruit and ate of it as well. But unfortunately, God's word never lies. Amen? And God told them, because you have committed this sin, you will die. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is what? Death. Death. And this teaching has gone throughout the entire world where you have a lot of religions and unfortunately a lot of churches that are pushing this idea that man has this eternal soul apart from God, that man has this immortality apart from God. But the Bible makes it very clear it's only to the righteous who they are granted the gift of immortality. Now let's take a good look at the word soul in the Bible. The word soul. We read in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. And the Lord God created man out of the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Notice what the Bible doesn't say. The Bible doesn't say and man was given a soul. The Bible says man became a soul. The word soul is used in two different ways. One way is to represent a life. Like, for example, if I was to say to you, there are about 200 souls in this room. There are about 40 souls in the youth room. A soul can be used just to represent life. The second way is to represent one's heart of mind. The Bible says in Deuteronomy, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The soul is used scripturally to represent the heart. The Bible, however, never uses the word soul to represent an inner gaseous entity or something immortal, an undying part of us that lives within us. There's not this whole idea of this cast for the ghost that when you die, you have this gaseous vapor floating around. No, 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 the Bible does not teach that. In fact, when you look at all the verses, the word soul is used, you will discover it's usually one of those two things. Now, let's take a good look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. I want you to see the equation for life right here. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. And what was the second component that he breathed into man's life? The breath of life. And man became a living... Being or became a living soul, as it says in the King James. Now, here's the simple equation. Don't lose me right here, okay? This is like one plus one equals two, all right? If you take the dust of the ground right there, right, what are you to add to it in order to create life? What do you need to add? The breath of life or God's creative power. And when you take those two simple components, guess what takes place? You're going to have life. You're going to have Life. The Bible makes this very clear. This is what God used to create Adam. Okay, that leads us to the next question. What happens when a person dies? Well, we take the very same equation. You take the body, right? And there you have basically the shell. And then you take God's created power, and with it, you have life. You can imagine the light bulb, for example. When the light bulb is not plugged in, there's no life. There's no light, but when you take that light bulb and you plug it in, you take the dust of the earth, and you plug it into God's creative power, guess what takes place? There is light. So what takes place at death is very simple. You take the dust of the ground, and you minus the breath of life, and you will have death. Now you're going to see how scriptural this teaching is. How scriptural this teaching is. This is what happens at death. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7 is very simple about death and when that silver cord is loosed then the dust will return to the earth as it was when you take a body and it's been buried for several years and you dig up that body you know what you're going to discover a decomposed body the Bible makes it very clear that the body returns to the earth as it was and the spirit or breath or power of God goes back to God who gave it so when a person dies, their body breaks down, and that creative power goes back to God. Well, you can even take a look at the Hebrew word that's used to describe breath or spirit. It's the word ruach, and in Greek it's nephesh, and it simply means breath or spirit, the creative power of God. It's never used to represent the soul or this gaseous vapor that lives within us. The Bible makes it very clear that that word spirit is just simply a word that's used to describe God's creative power, his electricity, his power, his might. So what happens to the consciousness at death? What happens to the consciousness? Are they still aware of everything that's taking place? Are they still just fully exposed to all the things that are taking place? Well, watch what the Bible says right here. Psalms 146, verse 4, his spirit, or that same word, ruach, departs, he returns to his earth, talking about the body. In that very day, his plans, what's that next word? Perish. The Bible makes it very clear that there is no more awareness at death. There is no more consciousness at death. All the plans a person may be making and all the memories they may have, when they die, the Bible makes it very clear that that simply stops. It ceases. Well, how much do the dead actually know? Well, pay attention to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 5 through 6. For the living know they will die. And why is it that they know they will die? Because they're alive. That's exactly right. But the dead know what? Nothing. Also, their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. When a person dies, all the emotions that they may have going into death immediately ceases, the Bible teaches. And they no longer have a consciousness at that very moment. But the living, the Bible says, actually have a consciousness or is actually aware we have emotions, we're thinking things, we know what's happening because we're alive. But the Bible makes it very clear that when a person dies, They know nothing. It even says in Psalm 115 that the dead do not praise God. Now, why is it that the dead don't praise God? Because they know nothing. Because they know nothing. So what is death then? What does the Bible actually call death? The Bible you're going to see constantly refers to death as sleep. Simply sleep. And you're going to see this throughout Scripture right now. Luke chapter 8, verse 52, Jesus resurrects a young girl, but on the way to resurrect the young girl, all the people were crying about this young girl who had passed away. Now watch what happens. Jesus says, Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep. She is not dead. She is sleeping. What did Jesus call death? Sleep. Now when you go to sleep, If you didn't eat anything the night before or very late at night, you're going to simply just cease your consciousness. And so the Bible makes it very clear that death is called a sleep. And you're going to see more of this in Scripture. Acts chapter 7, verse 60. Look what the Bible says about Stephen. Then he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge him with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell, what? Asleep. Now notice what the Bible doesn't say. It doesn't say this gaseous vapor came out of him and went to heaven and was praising God. No, the Bible makes it very clear that when one of God's people died, they simply fell asleep. Death is called the sleep in scripture. Can you say amen to that? Acts chapter 2, verse 29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. This was thousand years, thousands of years after David that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us this day. Now watch what else they say about David. For David did not ascend into the heavens because where is David right now? Sleeping. He's in the grave sleeping. He's unaware of everything that's taken place. But he says of himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Folks, you see this throughout scripture. Even Jesus was trying to teach his disciples about death and what really takes place because there was so much mystery concerning death. One day when one of Jesus's best friends, Lazarus, dies. What's his name? Lazarus dies. Jesus says, all right, we're going to go over there and we're going to awaken him. Now, pay attention to what Jesus tells, tells the disciples. John chapter 11, verse 11. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus Sleep. sleeps. How would you like Jesus to call you his friend? Wow, praise God for that. Our friend Lazarus, what's that word again? Sleep. Sleeps, but I go that I wait, may wake him up. Now all the disciples are sitting there for just a second and they're just thinking to themselves, wait a second. He was sick and then he died, and now you're saying he's sleeping? Well, that's a good thing he's sleeping. And Jesus actually had to explain it to them. No, no, no. What I mean by sleep is simply this. Then Jesus said to them plainly in other words, get what I'm about to tell you Lazarus is dead. Notice he didn't say Lazarus was in heaven. Notice he didn't say Lazarus was part of the celestial throne or the celestial host, praising God. He simply makes it clear that his best friend Lazarus was sleeping. He was dead in the grave, unaware of all the things that were taking place. Folks, Jesus makes it very clear he calls death a sleep. Now, I know sometimes you go to churches, or sometimes you go to funerals, and sometimes you may be at somebody you love, someone you love's funeral, and I know what that's like. My dad passed away. And sometimes the preacher will stand there, and he'll say things like, Oh, our beloved Bob right here, he's in heaven shining down on us right now. He's smiling right down on us. But, folks, here's the thing. Those people just may not know better, but we want to follow the Word of God. Amen? We need to know what the scriptures are teaching, that our loved ones right now aren't suffering. They're not in heaven right now seeing all the chaos on earth. No, 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 they're simply sleeping. In fact, Jesus never told his people, take comfort that your loved ones are in heaven. No, no, he taught that you should take comfort at the second coming. He always pointed people to the hope of the second coming because at the second coming... The human family would be reunited. Can you say amen to that? So, folks, I know what it's like to lose somebody. I know what it's like to really want to see them again. But the Bible is very clear on this issue, that those individuals are simply sleeping in the grave. And we can take confidence that they're in the hands of the Almighty and He's going to take care of them while they're sleeping. Amen? Amen? So when will the dead rise again? Take your Bible, go to 1st Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. 1st Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. This is the time when a lot of people in Thessalonica were actually dying off. They were being persecuted, they were being killed, some were dying of natural causes, and Paul trying to lift them up to the second coming hope says something very interesting in describing the second coming. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. Amen. Let's start with verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. shout. Remember, that's not a quiet word right there. We learned about this a few days. When Jesus comes back, it's going to be loud. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Now say it again. With a Shout. shout. It's going to be loud. Let's keep going. With the shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the bum ba da, bah, with the what, trumpet. trumpet of God. Now watch this, and the dead in Christ will what, rise. rise first. The Bible makes it very clear that the dead are given life at the second coming of Jesus. Can you say amen to that? And that's what the Bible teaches, that we should take our hope and we should place it upon the blessed hope, the second coming, not upon this false idea that people are in heaven right now. No, no. The Bible makes it very clear that the dead are sleeping and it's at the second coming that all those who have died in Christ will be resurrected. Can you say amen to that? Now watch what else Paul says in this. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the clouds, to meet them, to meet the Lord in the air. You know where we're going to be reunited with all our loved ones who have passed away? In the clouds. In the clouds. Can you imagine seeing somebody you lost? And in the clouds, you're seeing them resurrected, and you give them a big hug while you're in midair. Amen? Can't wait for that day. Now watch what else Paul says right there. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, what's that next word? Comfort one another with these words. Notice what Paul is saying right here. He's saying you're going to find comfort at the second coming because that's where you're going to be reunited with all those people who have passed away. Can you say amen to that? Nowhere do you find in Scripture that when somebody dies, they go straight to heaven. But what you do find in Scripture is very unusual cases, exceptions, where God either resurrects somebody or he translates them. You find God resurrecting Moses for a very important mission. You find God translating Enoch and Elijah. Those individuals didn't see death. And by the way, who's the oldest living human in this world? It would be be Enoch because he had never died. Amen? And so this is very interesting. You know, I'm going to share this powerful story. I share it nearly every time during this series, but I think it's very important, and it bears an extremely interesting point. There was this woman one day, and this woman, she's an elderly lady. She's a church-going lady, and she's a type of lady that wears the same church dress every single time when it's church. It's a nice blue dress, and it was made in the 1960s. She absolutely loves this dress. This woman goes to church and she's the type of woman that gets there extremely early, well before any of the deacons gets there. So she gets there, and she's sitting up in the front row. This woman has made some special dents in the pew by sitting there constantly. And so she gets there, sits in those little dents, and she awaits for the church service to start. Well, one day, or one day, she went to church, and there was a few people that were gathered there for church service, when all of a sudden, they heard the door open. And in marches this very interesting character wearing a trench coat. And he's walking right up to the front. And he makes his way all the way to the front of the pulpit. And he says, I have an announcement to make. And everyone's gasping because no one's ever seen this character before. He says to them, I want to make an announcement. And it's very important that you hear me out. I am Jesus. I am Jesus. And I have returned for my people. And everybody's... (gasps) Everyone's just freaked out by this whole thing, and the man continues talking. I am Lord of heaven and earth. And this one woman, she stands up with a smile, a big grin on her face, and everyone's thinking to themselves, "Not Betty May, not Betty May." Betty May stands up and she puts her hands together, and he says, "So you're Jesus?" And the man said, "I'm Jesus." And she says, "So you have returned from the from heaven." That's me. I have returned from heaven. And then she said, you must love the Bible as well as I do. And he says, of course, I wrote it. And then she says, can you read something for me? And he said, okay. Can you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18? And so the man, pretending to be Jesus, begins picking up his Bible, fumbling through it, very interesting, thought he wrote it. And so he's looking around for 1 Thessalonians, and all of a sudden, he finds 1 Thessalonians, and he says, okay, now what verse did you want me to read? Chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. So he stands up there, clears clears his throat, and then he says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, And the dead in Christ will rise first. And all of a sudden he looks at this woman and she's not smiling. She said, I didn't hear no trumpet. She said, I didn't hear no shout. And my dead husband isn't sitting next to me. You ain't Jesus. And all of a sudden that man gets extremely scared and he just runs out of that church. Never to be seen again. Folks, the Bible makes it very clear that when Jesus returns, he's going to come with a shout, with a trumpet, and what's going to happen? That trumpet's going to be so loud that the dead are going to be shaken from their graves. Can you say amen to that? Praise the Lord. And that's part of the blessed hope that we know that the human family is going to be reunited. Now, here's another question that pops up into your mind. Wait a minute. What about all those people who haven't followed God? Well the Bible makes it very clear, clear that they're sleeping, but if you come tomorrow night, you're going to find out what happens to them and straight from the word of God. That is a mish, mission, message you don't want to miss. Look what the Bible says right there in Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father and His angels. Talking about the second coming. And then, sequentially, He will reward each one according to His works. So folks, when do we receive the reward of the righteous? After the second coming. It doesn't say that the reward is given to them when a person dies. No, no, no. The Bible makes it very clear. They receive the inheritance of heaven, of eternity After the second coming of Jesus. Now watch what else the Bible says right here. A lot of people have questions. Wait a second. Didn't Jesus tell the thief on the cross, hey, today you're going to die, but you're going to be with me in heaven. Wait a second. Didn't the thief on the cross go straight to heaven that day? Well, let's take a good look at what Luke says. 23 verse 43. And Jesus basically turning to this thief says to him, assuredly, I say to you. Today you will be with me in paradise. That sure sounds like Jesus is telling the thief on the cross he was going to be in heaven that very day. However, you just showed me some verses that say that Jesus is going to resurrect the righteous at the second coming. I don't get it. Well, something you'll find that's very interesting about the Bible was that in the translation, in the original manuscripts, there are no punctuation marks. There are no punctuation punctuation marks. So what it should read is this. Assuredly I say to you today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. And you're going to see how this bears out. Because if Jesus went straight to heaven when he died, died, or if he took the thief on the cross straight to heaven, then he wouldn't have said this on Sunday morning at the resurrection when Mary Magdalene was about him. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet, what's that next word? ascended to my Father. Jesus says, wait a second, Mary, don't worship me yet. I still have to appear to my Father in heaven. He makes it very clear that when he died, he didn't go straight to the Father's throne. He didn't go straight to heaven. No, he slept in that grave, and that thief on the cross is sleeping in that grave, waiting that moment when he shall hear, ba, da the trumpet of God, and he'll rise from the grave, and he will see the second coming with all his glory. Can you say amen to that? In fact, you'll discover that when you just simply change the comma, you'll find that it says, Assuredly I say to you today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. In the original manuscripts, as I said before, there were no punctuation marks. Who put those punctuation marks in? The translators. And there were certain translators that had a belief about death. And this was during the time around the AD 300s and a little bit past that. When these translators, being very influenced by the Roman church, began to put a lot of theology in the scripture that was not part of the scripture. Punctuation marks were not part of it. So all you simply need to do is say, Assuredly, I say to you today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. That would be like me telling you, I tell you today we're going to have a meeting tomorrow night. Amen. Folks, you'll find this all the time. We make some of the same mistakes. Now watch this. A woman without her, man is nothing. A woman without her, man is nothing. And all you need to do is just put a comma there, whoop, and you'll find that it immediately changes the context. A woman without her, man is nothing. How about this one? Let's eat grandma. Let's eat grandma. Now how many people want to eat grandma? Of course, nobody wants to eat grandma, but that's why you put the comma there. Let's eat gra- Let's eat comma, grandma." And folks, what you'll find in Scripture is this exact same thing. That comma was not to be there, and you'll find from the rest of Scripture that Jesus didn't go straight to heaven. He makes it very clear to Mary Magdalene, "I didn't ascend to my Father." Don't worship me yet. I still have to present the sacrifice before my Father. Folks, you see this throughout Scripture, throughout all of Scripture. Matthew chapter 25, the Bible describes the second coming again, and it describes, now go ahead and write that verse down, write that down for your notes later on. Matthew 25 describes when God will come with all his glory, and he'll say to the righteous, come, enter, what? What? Well, take your Bible. Let's go there because you need, don't know the verse. That's okay. Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 through 34. You're going to see how scriptural this is. When does God let the righteous into heaven? Well, watch what Matthew says. Verse chapter 25, verses 31, page 962. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, is that talking about the first coming or second coming? Second coming, when, that's future tense, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Now watch this, verse 33, he will set the sheep on the right hand but the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom. What's that next word? prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So when does God give the righteous the kingdom? At the second coming. It is when he comes with all his glory, that's when he's going to allow the righteous to have access to heaven. The Bible makes it very clear that the dead are sleeping. That the dead are sleeping. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 22 through 23. Now watch this. I want you to see how clear this is from the Bible. For as in Adam, all die. We get a gift from Adam. You know what it's called? Death. We'll thank Adam when we see him in heaven one day. For as in Adam, how many die? All in, all die. Last time I checked, 10 out of every 10 people still die. For as in Adam, all die. Even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. But each one in his what? Own order. Okay, let's find out when the righteous are given life. Christ the firstfruits, God has immortality, Christ was given the resurrection, he resurrected in a glorified body, he's in heaven right now, afterward, those who are Christ, when? At his, say that next word, coming, now when are the righteous given life? At his coming, At the second coming, folks, you are seeing straight from the Bible. Don't let any other preacher, any other teacher manipulate what the word of God says. It is clear and it is based upon the scriptures alone. Can you say amen? Amen. Look what John chapter 6 verse 39 says. This is the will of the Father who sent me that of all he has given me. I should lose nothing but should raise it up at the last day. John chapter 6 verse 40. Everyone who sees the son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And when does he get that everlasting life? I will raise him up at the last, what's that next word? Day, over and over again. John chapter 11, verse 24. Martha said, Martha got her theology right. She said to Jesus, Martha, I know that he'll rise again. Talking about Lazarus. I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, this is what Paul says in his final letter. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. Do you love the second coming of Jesus? Are you excited about the second coming of Jesus? It is at the second coming of Jesus that we're going to be reunited with all our loved ones who have followed after Christ. And folks, God can't wait for that day, and neither should we. But why is that extremely important for us? Okay, we understand what the Bible teaches, but what does that have to do with end-time prophecy? Watch what 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says right here. I need your attention. This is extremely important. Now, the Spirit expressly says. Now, this is important. Do you guys see what Paul's just starting off by saying? He's saying this. The Holy Spirit says, listen up, Paul. He's expressly talking here. He is saying, the Holy Spirit is warning me about something, and he wants me to communicate it to you, believers. Look what he says. Now, the Spirit expressly says, in latter times, that's last day events, some will depart from the faith. Well, why will people depart from the faith? Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Who are those individuals that are floating around? What are those apparitions people are seeing? And those haunted houses? Who or what in the world are those things if the dead are sleeping? The Bible makes it very clear that these are deceiving spirits. In other words, they are fallen angels. Don't let anybody else ever tell you otherwise. The Bible makes it very clear that these are demons. And these demons are masquerading as loved ones. In fact, The Bible says something very interesting in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 6. It actually pronounced a death sentence upon anybody who would try to contact a psychic, a medium, because they were not contacting psychics and medium or the departed ones. They were contacting demons. Look what the Bible says right here. And the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits, familiar spirits, the root word is family. These spirits know about your family. They know all about you. And so oftentimes, we'll have these mediums and these psychics that are on television, and they'll say the most unusual things, and all of a sudden, that person is convinced. Folks, it should surprise you. It shouldn't surprise you that Satan knows something about you. It shouldn't surprise you. If you're following after God, folks, if you continue to follow after God, there's going to be a greater target pasted on your back. And Satan's going to bring all the deceptions that he can. But we need to base all our beliefs upon the scriptures. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Now, where did this thing really take off? It was around the 1840s, where you had the very beginning, excuse me, of the end, the end of the 1800s, the early 1900s, where you had two individuals called the Fox Sisters. These individuals claimed to hear a tapping. And they would communicate with the tapping in their house. And all of a sudden, they developed this language where these Fox sisters were actually communicating with somebody who apparently died. But folks, it makes it very clear from the scriptures that they were not contacting the dead because the dead are sleeping. They were contacting demons. They were contacting demons. And it was from this movement that modern day spiritualism has taken off. They even wrote on their grave, there is no death and there are no what? By the way, who else said that? Satan, you shall not surely die. Folks, the devil said the same thing to Eve. And that lie was so successful during Eve's time, he has taken and promoted all over the world. It's found in nearly every single religion. But we know that eternity, immortality comes as a gift from God. Amen? Comes as a gift from God. In our world today, you're finding this sort of modernizing of spiritualism. You're finding this advertising taking place of these psychics and these wizards. And all of a sudden, it just seems as fun and games. But folks, listen to me. It's through these things that the devil gains access to hearts and to minds. It's through these teachings that the devil is trying to persuade people to move away from the word of God and to try to be in contact with demonic spirits. But folks, the Bible warns about that. Stay away from those things. Amen? Stay away from those things. But what you're finding in our world today, not only is it becoming so modern and so likable, not only is it becoming sort of a fashion statement, well, I got my psychic here. Folks, I want to let you know I'm connected to that work too. You're saying you're connected to that work? I'm not connected to psychic work, but I am connected. My uncle is a well-known psychic in India. And folks, he doesn't go to the Word of God for answers. He goes somewhere else. These things we need to be careful about, folks. You may think to yourself, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It is because you're not contacting God. You're not contacting your departed loved ones. You are contacting demons. And the Bible warns against that. We need to stay away from those things because it's not from God. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 talks about Satan. Look what it says. And no wonder for Satan himself, what's that next word? transforms into himself, into an angel of light. He appears as one of the good guys. He appears as one of the good guys, but the Bible makes it very clear. He's a shapeshifter, and he will use this gift to his advantage. And we need to be very careful. We need to base what we believe upon the scriptures and the scriptures alone. Like Martin Luther, the word of God is alone is what I stand, and here I stand, amen? Here I stand. Folks, what you're finding today, it's not only out in media, it's not only in secularism, but what you're now finding too is that spiritualism is entering the back door of many churches. Many churches. And now this false ideology about what happens to people when they die is now becoming part of the whole thing. You're finding a lot of preachers saying things like, oh, I spoke to Moses, the prophet. I spoke to Samson I spoke to John the Baptist last night I spoke to Elisha and he gave me a message or you'll find out people saying things like Mary spoke to me but the Bible makes it very clear she's sleeping in her grave too amen you know one day I was meeting with somebody and this woman was very adamant about Mary and folks I know Mary's blessed amen But here's the thing. She says, I pray to Mary. I say, you don't need to pray to Mary. You can pray to Jesus. But she says, Mary's blessed. And I said, wait a second. I said, Jesus is more blessed. I said, you need only one Redeemer, one Mediator, and that's Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden, the Lord impressed me with this verse. It is so powerful. Take your Bible. Go to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. This verse is going to blow your mind away. Luke chapter 11, verse 29. Twenty-seven. Excuse me, Luke chapter eleven, verse twenty-seven, page one thousand and six. So here I am. I'm talking to this woman who's very adamant that Mary's in heaven, that Mary is her mediator. But folks, I'm trying to show her the scripture, and all of a sudden the Lord impresses me. Share this verse with her. Verse twenty-seven. Are we all there? And it happened, this is talking about Jesus one day when he was at lunch, and it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. All of a sudden this woman is in the middle of the crowd and she says, Praise God for the mother of Jesus. This woman actually calls Mary blessed. But watch what Jesus says next. More than that, blessed are those who keep the word of God. To hear the word of God and what's that next word? Keep Keep the word of God. So I closed my Bible and I said, who's more blessed than Mary? And she said, those who hear the word of God and keep it. And she put her head down and she says, I think God is trying to speak to me. I said, of course, woman. (laughs) I said, the Bible is very clear about this. I don't mean to be disrespectful. Folks, I want you to understand something, okay? We don't need to follow after statues. We don't need to worry about going to psychics and medium. If we go straight to the Bible and seek out what the plans and purposes God has for us, he'll reveal them in his time, amen? We need to only go to the word of God, and when it comes to the loved ones, we have lost. Somebody might have told you, oh, they're in heaven right now, and it might have brought you some comfort, but folks, there's a greater comfort found in what the truth of scriptures teach that that individual is sleeping in the grave, that they're resting. But one day, one day their eyes are going to open and the first thing they're going to see is the second coming of Jesus. Can't you wait for that day, folks? I can't wait for that day. When Jesus comes with all his glory, all his power, and that mighty trumpet of God, and we're going to hear that noise, and all of a sudden the earth is going to shake, and all our loved ones are going to come from the grave, and we're going to be reunited with them in the air. And the Bible says, so shall we always be with the Lord forever. It doesn't say when you die, you're with the Lord forever. No, it says at the second coming, you're with the Lord forever. This is the hope we have as believers that one day we're going to be reunited at the second coming, that all our loved ones are sleeping, but one day those who have followed after Jesus are going to be resurrected, and God wants you there because it's going to be the most exciting event of the entire universe. Folks, who wants to raise their hands today and say, Lord, I want to be ready for your second coming. I want to be there on that special day. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we thank you so much. God, thank you, God, that we have a special hope in your soon return. The blessed hope, as the scriptures call it. And Lord, I just pray we'd be like what Paul says, and those who love his appearing. God, make us people who just don't know about the second coming, but people who love the second coming. Thank you, God, for scriptural truth. And we stand upon the word of God. Lord, bless each person here. May they take comfort. Now one special day when you return. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.